Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. Earlier this week, Andy Gridley, Jay Kim, and I got in the podcast studio and we recorded The Afterword. And then a few hours later, we and the rest of the world received news and saw the images of Russia invading Ukraine. And since then, our hearts and minds have been transfixed on these news events and these stories, some of them inspiring, some of them terrifying, and some of them anxiety-inducing. My son came home from school the other day and said, uh, Dad, is there going to be a World War III, and are me and my friends going to get conscripted into the army to fight? Um, this is heavy on everyone's heart and mind, and I imagine it's been on yours. If you're anything like me, you've delved into uh, the history of the region and trying to understand what the possible scenarios might be by listening to political science experts and such. Um, it's, it's not the easiest thing to process. And I'm reminded that last night, Saturday Night Live, Instead of opening the show the way it always does, with a cold open, a funny sketch, it actually stopped and opened instead with a Ukrainian choir singing a Ukrainian prayer in Ukrainian. And uh, this is the cultural moment that we find ourselves in, prayers for Ukraine. So I thought it would be appropriate for us to open our afterword with prayers for Ukraine, in case you're wondering why we didn't mention it in the podcast. But I do find it interesting that in the podcast, we actually talk about the issue of war. In Jesus's day, there were political folks who understood that Rome was a tyrannical empire, that Rome was doing real damage and really killing real people. And they wondered why Jesus didn't use his power as an immediate political zealot to overthrow Rome, to stop Rome, to stop the tyranny, to bring God's good rule on the earth right now, not later, but right now, immediate political zealotry. And Jesus had to answer that question. He has things to say. We talk about that in the podcast. I find, I find that kind of providential, but we don't mention the Russian invasion. We don't mention Ukraine, and you're probably wondering why. But in the spirit of that, we did want to close um, this opening session of the afterword with a prayer. And not my prayer, um, but the prayer of a Ukrainian pastor. I'm reminded of the words of Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, when Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that prayers, petitions, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So we pray against this war. We pray for peace. We pray for not just all people in the worlds of Ukraine and Russia, but specifically thinking about our brothers and sisters in the faith. And so I wanted to close with a prayer. Uh, when asked what to pray for, um, what we should pray for, uh, this Ukrainian pastor in this article I read in Christianity Today said this, please pray about Russian Christians that they would raise their prayers and voice toward the Russian government to stop the aggression, that they would not keep silent. Please pray for the Western governments of the U.S. and the European Union. And finally, please pray about Ukrainian Christians that we will serve and live as the community of hope in a full sense of this term, that during these terrible times, we would invite more and more people to the relationships with God and his children, to, be, to the relationships of love, hope, encouragement, support, that our minds and characters would continue to transform into the character of Jesus Christ. What a powerful prayer. And we join him in praying for peace in that region and for our brothers and sisters in that region, that peace would reign, that God would stop these fires of war, that he would put cooling rains and winds on this aggression, and that the peace of Christ and the peace of God's kingdom might come in this day. May it be so.
Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. The Afterword's our weekly podcast where we talk about what we didn't get to talk about on the weekend's message. And uh, we are in a brand new sermon series on the book of Matthew. And you would think, going as slowly as we are going through the book of Matthew, literally taking six, eight weeks to go through two chapters, that there wouldn't be a whole lot on the cutting room floor because we get to talk about it all. (laughs) If you think that you are wrong, that is not accurate. We have so much that we don't get to talk about. And this week I've got Jay Kim and Andy Gridley who spoke at our Saratoga and South Hills campuses this weekend to share a little bit about the stuff that they didn't even get to. So there's a whole lot of fun that we have um, and a whole lot of depth. There's a lot going on. The big question here is Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan River by his cousin, John the Baptizer. And you and I both know that John the Baptist had, had this baptism where people would come and they would repent and they get cleansed and forgiven. Why does Jesus need to get baptized? What's going on there? Because he's sinless, isn't he? Isn't he perfect? So why is he getting baptized? And what's that mean? And the answer is both deep and profound and deeply hopeful. I hope you'll stick around. It's a fantastic podcast. So let's get right to it. to read jay's notes <laughs> i should pull up my notes that's too. your podcast just uh mm-hmm. reading jay's notes uh-huh <laughs> then tell story about my daughter oh that's 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 your story you know i was thinking you know it'd be fun if we just started a little different in light of the super bowl matthew the super bowl halftime show three so what if with the music yeah i was just thinking how cool would it be to be like all right everyone welcome to the afterword yeah. Are we going to get flagged? Straight. Copyright Out issues? of Westgate. We got J. Y. Kim. Boom. And on the other side. You call me Mr. G. All, the, up on your all the way from Los Gatos. <laughs> Yo, the uh, mean streets. Super white. Super white. Super white. Come on. Andy. On your answering machine. Got a dot. Okay, we gotta stop. That was terrible. That's embarrassing. Are you recording it? Yes, I'm in. Yeah, it wasn't the right tempo. No, that's embarrassing. That was. It was embarrassing. We should. We should cut. I'm embarrassed for you. I'm embarrassed (laughs) for you. (laughs) All right, I'm gonna. Um. Yeah. So, hey guys, welcome to the afterward. Hi, Andy. You want to say something? Hi. It's good to be. (laughs) It's good to be here with you. Is this started? Oh, yeah, we're on, Andy. Okay. Hey. Dave always does this. I never know when the episode has started or <laughs> oh, not. Oh, my gosh. It, the it's second pretty... you step in the room, okay. oh, it's on. It's okay. on like Donkey Kong. We're going. Okay, you guys, uh, first of all, is there anything we want to talk about that's <laughs> like just non-Matthew-related? Like, is there anything? I mean, so much. There's so much going on. And People can't the... see this, but Andy's, Andy's wearing this Nike pullover from the hoodie. nike outlet in bend oregon and it is so cool i know it's got flowers this like 80s uh, like grid very digital yeah grid thing i wish people could see this it. is really playing well for a podcast jay no, thanks I'm for just saying. trying to describe it's colors not and fashion. it's not attire he would wear on a sunday so no one will ever yeah. get to see this except us and i mm-hmm. that saddens me Anyways, yeah, that's about it. Because <laughs> we <laughs> talk about Matthew. All right. This past weekend we started or we continued. Yeah. Our Matthew season one sermon series. Yes. 
And last week we talked about John the Baptist calling people to this baptism of repentance. People would get clean, clean cleansed. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a, a baptism of repentance. And he promises, uh-oh, there's going to be another one coming who's going to baptize differently. And then mm. we have Jesus coming to get baptized. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, there's so much going on in this story. A lot of people kind of probably have an initial question, like, why why did Jesus have to be baptized if he didn't repent or need to repent of anything if he's sin, sinless, right? Mm, yeah. And then how, how, how can Jesus need to be clean? That's weird. And then there's the whole supernaturalness of this, where the heavens open up, a dove descends, and then the voice of God the Father says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Mm-hmm, yep. Lots going on here. That sounds like James Earl Jones, the voice. Right? Well... <laughs> You think that's what the I voice wonder. Sounded? I mean, we should really slow down and consider what that would have been yeah, like. Yeah, what would yeah. it have sounded like? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's a good question. Oh, by the way, you know they they had theological scholars uh, try to address this for the Prince of Egypt uh, animated film. Oh, interesting. In, back like in, who was going to voice God's mm-hmm. voice? Yes. So you that, know what they oh. decided on? What? Um, they decided on a nine tone voice that was male and female, nine and tone? it had nine tones. What does that mean? Nine tones. So it, it, you know, like um, like a truck horn. Yeah. It has like, or like a car horn has two tones or three. Okay. It's got, it's oh, not yeah. just one. Oh, it's yeah, got yeah. three tones. Yeah. Uh-huh. So what they did is they composited nine voices into one voice. Oh. So it has both a feminine after softness, but also the baritone and the bass. Mm. This interplay of the, you know, the Trinity, this interplay of the that's kind of cool. The Godhead all speaking. So I have like a studio music background. That's like a keyboard. They call it polyphonic, like multiple. Yes, oh, polyphonic. Yeah. Right. That's the so word. when you push one key, you're actually getting a bunch of sounds generated but, at once. Right. Or put another way, that the idea of the Trinity as being a harmony of voice. Yeah. Oh yeah. As opposed to like some of the ways it's described to kids as um, God's we an were, egg. If we were a boy band, our band would be called Harmony of Voice. We could. Be, I think it would be called. Uh, polyphonic <laughs> i don't know if we were a boy band i, I just think, think it's i just think it's worth us. every once in a while like really like this really mm. happened and what would that voice have sounded like yeah what would that would we have been like kind of tense when john's like i'm not baptizing you and jesus is like no you're gonna do it. like how it, even that what was the dynamic like between yeah. those guys was it like a little bit confrontational hmm. between the two of them well like, they've known each other their whole lives right yeah, I mean, they're related, they're cousins, you know. It could be debated how much time they would have spent together. You know, it's a different world, but they certainly knew each other. Jesus mourns significantly when, yeah. you know, spoiler alert, when John is killed, killed. later. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like they had a close relationship, but it's interesting because John, this is his cousin, so think about your cousin. Right. I mean, he's just like your cousin. Uh-huh. He's a dude, you know, yeah. or, or some girl. It's like a right. friend, you know? Yeah. Right. But John immediately recognizes who his cousin, his earthly cousin, like who he actually is, and then has such deep reverence for him. I mean, that much is clear. Well, in, it goes back. I mean, he flipped in the womb when Mary comes in. Yeah. He's like doing flips in the womb. He recognized him from pre-birth. Yeah. Yeah. And in, uh, you know, it's pretty in, cool. It's really cool. Yeah. Their relationship is like their cousins second. Right. And before that, they're like Lord and master. Prophet and king. Yeah. Prophet, you know, yeah, the prophet and proclaiming and his coming yeah. king sort of thing. And yeah. it's, uh, yeah. I mean, when you think about the familial sort of on the ground, very human, personal 
nature of the story it's like really profound and beautiful like yeah. these are related guys they're cousins and i don't think it was polite i don't think it was like oh jesus i mean it's his right. cousin right it's like no way man like yeah you know what i mean i think there was like some some heat behind their interaction yeah but who knows? Well, it seems like, yeah, for and sure. And then Jesus counters with a very strange sentence. Yeah. I have to do this yeah. to fulfill all righteousness. Yeah. Uh, so, first of all, that's a strange sentence. What, like, help help folks understand what what does that what does that sentence mean? We don't use the word righteousness now. It's just yeah. a, it's a strange word. How would yeah. you how would you describe it to like my teenage son? Well, I mean, I'll throw the question back at you, Dave, because we, if you've been with us for a while, in the fall we did a series on the life of Abraham, and um, it was based on a book that was brilliant. <laughs> Just brilliant, I love that author. Brilliantly written. <laughs> author is both handsome and brilliant. Uh huh. Funny. So, Dave, you wrote the book, <laughs> and. Uh, we uh, got into righteousness yeah, there. Yeah, we did. We did. So what is it? I'm going to well, throw the idea back at you. Well, I mean, in the Old Testament, um, the word righteousness is very, it's almost always, not almost always, it's often tied to this other word, uh, justice. So yes. siddikah and mishpat. Those two words are um, what you know Hebrew scholars call a hendias, which is, um, it's, it means one through two. It means stereo, back to the <laughs> idea nice. of... of of polyphonic it's like uh if you've got earbuds and one of them goes out it, it doesn't quite have the same impact you need both it's disorienting it's yeah, weird you need stereo yeah. and the mm-hmm. it, justice and righteousness are from the same word clump mm-hmm. um and they're from the same idea which is this idea of that you love what's right mm-hmm. you do what's right and that's that's righteousness but then when it breaks down you set things back right the way yeah. they should be, which is justice. Yeah. So in theory, if righteousness is always done by every person all the time, there's no need for justice because it's there's nothing out of order. There's nothing broken. Yeah. Um, that's, but that's weird. So actually, righteousness often is 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 justice. It's tied to doing what's right in mm-hmm. social settings and in, in your human relationships and before God. It's, yeah. it's being blameless before God, so it's internal, but then that blamelessness before God, wanting to follow the ways of God, actually translates out into your social relationships. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of what's going on in the in the Hebrew Old Testament idea of justice and righteousness. Which Matthew, yeah. right before this, earlier in Matthew 3, which we looked at the week before, yeah. John is referring to Abraham, and he's like, hey, if, if you're really descendants of Abraham— You'd get this right. Yes. Right. And and he's calling them to a repentance to get this right. And then Jesus steps in and says, Hey, let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. I think they're absolutely tied. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I think that to your point, Dave, about righteousness being <laughs> it sounds like the actual word, like rightness. Rightness. Setting things right, making sure things are right. The way God and right not in our view, based on our opinions Correct. and perspectives but God's original intent and plan for mm. his glory and for the flourishing of the world. Um, That's rooted in his very character. Yeah, yeah. So when we understand that, the reason for Jesus's baptism, I think comes into focus a little bit when he says, no, I'm being baptized to fulfill all righteousness. If you think about it, like, you know, repentance is um, turning away from, a life leading toward wrongness yes, or uh, life according to the world or the flesh or the devil. You or know? even my own design. Right? Yeah, my own design. Yeah. 
And repentance then is turning away from that and turning toward committing to journeying toward God's design for his glory and for our good and for the flourishing of the world. Then it makes sense that after John has just said to the masses, repent and be baptized, then Jesus comes and he's baptized, not because he needs to repent, but because he's now going to fulfill righteousness, all righteousness. So repentance and righteousness are really the two far ends of one journey. You begin with repentance, which leads you toward righteousness, um, the world set right, your life set right. Mm. And so Jesus is sort of declaring himself as the culmination and you know, as he will say later, like the life, the truth, and the way, like this whole concept of him embodying and revealing to us yeah. what a righteous life looks, looks like. like. Yeah. So he's baptized to fulfill that, to put that on full display, which he will continue to do for several years and then bring to its climax by dying uh, this death that he did not deserve, but then defeating sin and death by coming back in resurrection. So... It is strange because that is a very natural question. Why is Jesus baptized? He has nothing to repent of. Yeah, I think I I used to hear it the wrong way. In fact, fact, I would just kind of pass over this. It didn't make sense. Jesus is sinless. He must have just done this like for pageantry, like without Mm. any actual depth to it or real meaning other than like, well, this is a Jewish thing to do. I'll do it too, you know? Right. Um, And I think that's, the furthest thing when we, when, as we've discussed on the weekend, like this is the furthest, furthest thing, uh, from what Jesus was doing. He actually is, um, he's marking himself by the words of John. So he's fulfilling the law of repentance and coming back. He's he, in that way, but in a really beautiful way, as you just said, Jay, um, he, in this moment, he's marking that he is ushering in yeah. this different life, this life that's oriented towards God, this life that, he lives perfectly and invites us to die to our life and enter into this life with him that that's that's oriented towards God's design. Yeah. And yeah. I, it's really incredible if you think about that. It's like one of those Matrix movies or something where the, the character's coming in and they're like, Jesus is actually ushering in this new reality, this new kingdom. And, it, and it's marked by this moment. It's really beautiful. Yeah, and, and I think what's really cool about that is up until this time, the people of God did not have an embodied human who could actually put on very clear, literal display for us yeah. what a righteous life looks like. They, they, all, had, some, they were, had some prototypes that were kind of flawed. All flawed. Yeah. And, so, and Matthew kind of leverages yeah. that. He pr- he proposes Jesus as... Did I say kind of flawed? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it was I mean, nice. I mean, it was, I was diplomatic. You were being nice. You were being diplomatic. <laughs> very flawed. Yeah, very flawed. And Jesus, again, yeah. using that fulfillment language, he fulfills or completes yeah. or makes whole yeah. what these sort of archetypes, yeah. who, were, who were great men and women, but these archetypes could never really totally fulfill. Yeah. So that's why Matthew presents Jesus, for example, as the new Moses. Right. And a new Moses would mean not like Moses 2.0, but the version of that sort of leader that you longed for, that Moses in his own flawed way sort of hinted at, but never could complete because he was a broken, sinful human being. Yeah. Well, Jesus does that now for us. And it's, it's not ambiguous. Like you can see him. 
Yeah, you know? Brashears, when we were writing the book, his his theory was that Abraham Abrahamic righteousness is this um, this four pronged approach to life. Um, you know, you have loyalty to God above all, even in the land of Baal and other idols. That you trust God when it doesn't make sense. You do what's right. You love what's right. You set things right uh, based on God's character. And then when life falls apart, you trust in God's provision. That Abraham sort of modeled that. But not perfectly, but he hinted at it. Yeah. Moses then codifies a whole bunch of laws to try to help the people live this way, mm-hmm. but they can't. Mm-hmm. So then Jesus comes, is the perfect Abrahamic righteousness. His loyalty is to God above all and all circumstances. He trusts God when it doesn't make sense. He does all this stuff with Siddiqui and Mishpat, right? He puts things right, loves what's right, does what's right. I mean, almost seems like all of Luke's gospel is about mm-hmm. this, a lot of the gospel stories. And then lastly, when life falls apart, he trusts in God's provision. Um, and it does, you know, at the cross at Gethsemane. And so Brashears' point was that he's actually the perfect Abraham. He's the perfect Adam. He's the perfect Moses. He's the per- he's the perfect everybody. Yeah. And um, I'll throw this in there too. Um, he's a fulfillment of Isaiah 42. This is something I was able to share a little oh, bit on the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the people were looking for this perfect model. Yeah. And God had promised it through the yeah. prophet Isaiah. And um, this kind of maybe segues us to the, the spirit um, that's mentioned, you know, this, this Holy Spirit that descends on Jesus. But there's this ancient, ancient prophecy that there would be this perfect model in Isaiah 42. And I'm going to read it from the message because it's really cool. It's really encouraging in the season that we're in with government and world affairs and all these kinds of things. But um, it's marked, it's ushered in. The fulfillment of that righteousness begins here. Fulfillment of this promise of this, this perfect model. Isaiah 42, one through four in the message says, take a good look at my servant. I'm backing him to the hilt. He's the one I choose, and I couldn't be more pleased with him. I've bathed him with my spirit and my life. He'll set everything right among the nations. He won't call attention to what he does with loud speeches or gaudy parades. He won't brush aside the bruised and the hurt, and he won't disregard the small and the insignificant, but he'll steadily and firmly set things right. He won't tire out and quit. He won't be stopped until he's finished his work to set things right on earth. Yeah. And I think at least in Matthew's gospel, very Jewish gospel account, as this picture of this dove comes down, all of these people who would have known Isaiah, this promise of this perfect leader, this perfect king, this perfect Messiah, this perfect Messiah, they would have been like, Oh my gosh, he's, this is Isaiah. Yeah. What uh, can I ask a clarification question? Some people they'll, they'll ask me like, did, people expect the Messiah to be God himself or just a, like a messenger from God, like a, a representative? Or was the idea that he was actually part of the Godhead kind of mind-blowing? Mm. Like, and, and I guess, how would you how would you answer that? Yeah, it's, it's I a mean... Little, it's a little tricky, right? Well, there's uh, lots of dialogue in the world of, like, theological academia about that. I, I would recommend N.T. Wright, you know, when... God became king. Oh yes, um, which is a very readable book. It, kind of his dive take into on some of that kind stuff. of the Gospels, really. Yeah, um, and then N.T. Wright's got much more academic books. If if you're like a true like super nerd, <laughs> and you want to spend <laughs> you know six months of your life just. But regardless, out, Isaiah. It I, I would say this, I, I'm this not Messiah. a super nerd, but I w- I was just in the Gospel of John this morning, and Jesus is like. You know, it's that famous passage. He's like, well, if David is quoting that there's these gods, plural, like, 
you know, it, it seemed to me like Jesus was trying to get people's minds wrapped around that God would come himself. Yeah. And, and my, my understanding, my very limited understanding, when it's talking about the spirit being put on somebody, it's this thought of another Abraham, another Moses. Right. They weren't quite ready for what God would do. And how could we be ready for that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the general tenor of the day was for a messianic figure to come and overthrow the particular empire of that day, which was Rome. That much is clear. Yeah, You see it in the cultural climate of the Jewish people at the time. Uh, the rise of the zealots, you know, the movement of the zealots, which it's argued that that group rose to prominence probably shortly after Jesus, but that the roots of it were, were in existence, you know, before Jesus's time on earth and during, but it's pretty clear in a variety of ways that, that God's people were expecting in the mold of the prophets and Moses and King David and Abraham, they were expecting, I mean, his own disciples asked those questions. Like, are you going to basically take the throne now? Is it time? time. And I think their expectation was a very human overthrow of human powers. So I I don't, yeah. I mean, I think that's why then after Jesus's resurrection and ascension, we have these really rich theological letters from people like Paul. And if you read those letters, it's clear (laughs) that he's not simply adding commentary to that which was already understood. Mm-hmm. He's, yeah. he's rewriting the story, not rewriting on behalf of God. He's rewriting the story that God's people had expected. Right. He's essentially making, it's an, his letters are essentially an apologetic. The king you were waiting for came, and he's coming again. His name is Jesus, and that king is not just a messianic figure. It's God himself. Yeah. God came. Like God dwelt with us, and he by his spirit continues to dwell in us, and Jesus, our king, is coming again. Can you imagine just what you said? I mean, it's, it's like exclamation point, and John baptizes God. Yeah. Yes. And John seems to realize it in <laughs> yeah. ways that no one else yeah. does at it's that like point. It's like John has insight that nobody else does. I mean, I've right. done baptisms and they're they're kind of nerve-wracking. They're a hallowed moment. You know, you want to make sure like logistically like the mic doesn't fall in the baptismal yeah, yeah. pool or like someone's head doesn't bonk. Like imagine holding God. Right. It's just a really incredible thought. And again, the beauty of as he as Jesus descends and comes out, he's ushering in. This is a declaration moment of the kingdom come. Yeah. It's really incredible. But there's the side of it, which is um, a lot of folks are disappointed. I was thinking of a book a couple years ago as you were talking about the zealots. There's a book by Riza Aslan, who is an Iranian-American scholar, who said that Jesus's message is best understood as political and that he was a religious zealot. Mm. And that's all it was. It's just in, in the political realm. And that is certainly what a lot of people wanted, right? Yeah. From from Jesus. But what you're saying is that it's actually bigger than that. Yeah. And I think about all the, I mean, as we're recording this, yeah, Ukraine and Russia are at war, you know, and right. there's all sorts of political, all sorts of war and all sorts of turmoil and pain. And I think a lot of people are kind of like, it'd be nice to have that kind of political revolution immediately. Jesus doesn't his kingdom is bigger than that. So why is that good news? Why is that hope? 
mm. that that he's fulfilled all righteousness in this because it it you know right now it doesn't kind of look like it. So how would you describe it to people who are like, hey, I really want Jesus to like fix things right now? Yeah, because I mean that's that's a desire of a lot of people, right? Yeah, man, what a good question. I don't know. I, I for me, I would say a couple of things. One. I would not I don't want to minimize the heartache and heartbreak of the here and now. And I, I do believe God grieves with us, you know, when he sees his children hurt and harm one another. And that happens in small ways, just in our families and our relationships and our neighborhoods. And it happens on a global scale when one nation mm-hmm. infringes on another and there's death and chaos and displacement you know yeah and we're seeing that in the news obviously in ukraine and so i think that all of that is wrapped up in the same story that uh what we're seeing in ukraine is what we see in genesis 4 it's like cain abel where is your brother blood you know, crying out blood, from his the blood cries out from the ground am i my brother's keeper it becomes this complete, um, you know, severing of the human connection that God intends for us to have with one another. And with him. And with him. Yeah, yeah. it's all connected. Yeah. You know, it's all connected. Yeah. And I think God grieves those things for sure. So I, I don't want to say like, well, we're all going to die and go to heaven, so it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. Like, no, not at all. I think... God's intention is that, you know, Jesus's prayer, what we call the Lord's prayer, like your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, present tense, like right now, right now, as it is in heaven. So I think our response to that is to grieve and to mourn and to take uh, some semblance of courage and knowing that God grieves and mourns with us and then to do what we can to try to, to your point, you know, justice and righteousness to set the world right in Mm. small ways. And sometimes that's prayer. Sometimes that's financial generosity. Sometimes that's taking in a displaced person or a refugee. Sometimes it's whatever. I mean, it's so many things. So there's that. But then on the, on the other side of that is it is true. Like the story continues on that history has unfolded like this time and time again, because we live in a sinful, broken world, but God is going to set all things right someday and, uh, and you know, that's the beauty of it. I, I love that Keller quote that we've quoted here at Westgate several times. You know, the world, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says, the world invites us to sit amidst this life's joys, essentially anxious about the oncoming sorrow. But Christianity invites us to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows, mm. tasting the coming joy. You know, and uh, that coming joy is connected to God remaking the world someday. You tweeted this morning, uh, Jay, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. It it sounds like that was kind of in your heart and in your mind a little bit as you considered this, that at the end of all things, God will end, you know, the the famous prophetic. He will beat the, what is it? The swords will be plowshares and the lion will lay down with the lamb. There will be no violence in nature. Man will be violent no more. That our redeemed hearts will be, you know, set right. You know, that kind of thing. Was that kind of on your mind this morning? Yeah, absolutely. I was just, I was reading. I stayed up too late last night watching the news. I actually had the news on while my kids were still awake. And then 
you know, I'm just fixated, heartbroken. And Jenny had to tap me on the shoulder. It was like a bad dad moment. (laughs) And without the kids seeing, she was like, I think you should turn it off. Because she could tell that my daughter was was almost seven. She was starting to get a little anxious. Oh, man. And then she was starting to ask her mom. She's like, are those bad guys? Are those bad guys, you know? And we had to say, like, yeah, there are bad guys in the world. Mm. But um, God is good. and He's on our side, you know? And so I had to turn it off. But... Yeah, my son came. My son came to me and said, "Dad, is this going to be another Vietnam? Do you think I'll get drafted?" Oh man! And I was like, "Oh wow!" <laughs> so yeah. we spent some time, you know, talking to him about the geopolitical realities and how this is different. But I'm, I, I think kids pick up on the brokenness. Yes. I remember when I was five, six years old, my mom lived in Beirut for a number of years. Oh wow! Um, she taught at the American School overseas, and so she lived in Beirut. And if you remember, in 1981, there was a kind of a civil war in Lebanon and and there was a bombing of the American barracks where 81 American soldiers were killed and, and there was a huge war. And my mom was looking at the television screen as they were showing images of Beirut and sobbing because she's like, that was the street where the market was on. I lived right down there and she saw the destruction of the city of this beautiful place and this beautiful people that she had met and the students that she had taught. And, um, and I'm five or six. And I remember, viscerally drinking that in my yeah. my mother's sorrow mm. at the brokenness of this world and I, I don't think i'll ever forget it and a lot of people are like well it's just all the way across the world but for my mom it was like deep right these were yeah. people that at places that she had loved and lived among and i think all of us and i know this has been a, a time of incredible fatigue there's so much to care about and there's so much heartbreak in the world but this Baptism into all right uh, to fulfill our righteousness really seems like good news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. If there was ever a time, I mean, I I often think of that time where the disciples, Jesus teaching gets a little harder, and a bunch of these people who are fans of Jesus, oh, they they leave Jesus, and Jesus turns to some of his disciples and he says, "Are you going to leave me too?" Oh, yeah. And if you remember that famous line, it's like, "Where else would we go?" Yeah. And so you know, the question is. Um, to Jay's point, or even to your example, the history of the world, starting with Cain and Nabal, like, is this. It's a struggle for power. It's envy. It's violence. It's mm. death. Where else would we go but this king of righteousness? Mm. Where else could we go? Um, for You mentioned that you know it breaks God's heart when he sees his kids yeah. harming each other this way. And I couldn't help but think I could... I have two kids. They're both teenagers now. And I can swing in with all the power that I have as a parent still of teenagers, which is getting lesser and lesser, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I could bang my fist and get them to stop doing whatever, but it doesn't really affect the heart, right? It's not a lasting change. It's a temporary change. This is the story of humans over and over again, just grabbing power without this also perfected love, this self-giving love. In this baptism... In this moment, in this king, the fulfillment of Isaiah is a different way forward. Where else would we go where love and power are perfectly held together? Mm. And there really is a hope. I know it's, uh, it could feel naive to some folks, but the church is a demonstration of this new way. It's it, When the church is working as it should, um, we get a glimpse of what this new righteousness, this new, um, this new reality for us is looks like and it's beautiful yeah it's so good yeah. 
that's great oh man so good well thank you guys both for for being with me yeah and for uh yeah i i feel i feel like uh john the baptist i'm not um, i'm not worthy to untie your sandals or your converse in your in in your your designer converse. please don't untie my converse (laughs) that's just weird (laughs) (laughs) all right well and then we're gonna keep traipsing next week uh what happens oh jesus is led into the wilderness yes we spend we spend a couple weeks there yeah three three weeks each of the three temptations a whole week Oh man, it's gonna be fun. I feel like Jay, what what you said about Keller's quote, uh, we're entering into a season together with Lent. Um, oh yeah, where we get to do exactly what Keller said. You know, that's yeah. right. Entering into the sorrow with deep joy, yeah. deep expectation, yeah. and we've got these prayer services coming, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, so. that's a great invite. I think we post. Hopefully, you're listening to this uh, before, but this Wednesday, March second, second. There are Ash Wednesday prayer services at both campuses, South Hills and uh, Saratoga at 7 p.m. And Ash Wednesday might, if you're new to that, it might, or you grew up Catholic or something, it might sound like, oh, are these dudes going Catholic or what's the, you know? Uh, it's actually a rich Christian, broad Christian tradition. Yes. It's it's uh, the first word in the sort of longer narrative toward Easter and it's kind of on the surface depressing, you know, like from dust you came to dust you shall return. It's about yeah. death, uh-huh. but you have to die to experience resurrection. Yeah. So it's a powerful way to start this Lenten season. So I, yeah, I'd invite you if you're free Wednesday night, March 2nd, both campuses, 7 p.m. should join us for that. It's going to be awesome. And then we also have a Lenten devotional, yeah. um, Biola. Um, and their their whole department of yeah they do some fantastic creative work yeah. uh, theological art they yeah. actually put together we had one um, for, for Advent, Advent yeah and it was super popular a lot yeah. because it's multimodal yep. you you look at a piece of art and then listen to a, a piece of music yeah and then read something and then reflect and for a lot of people that really unlocks something yeah. in them uh, and they they really felt like they were able to access these ideas and really it, it activate their imaginations in yeah. ways that maybe. Other stuff didn't, and so yeah. um, they did this again. Uh, Biola did, um, Bible Bible Institute of Los Angeles, and yeah. so that's available on our website as well, and that's free. You can just sign up for it, and it gets sent to your um, inbox. So that's yeah. cool, guys. Thanks, go. thanks a ton. Thank, Thank you. you. I super yeah. appreciate it. And uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, although Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday, uh, Fat Tuesday is our staff meeting. So I'm wondering. <laughs> Thank you, God. I'm wondering. <laughs> If we're gonna have like cheeseburger, double decker, I was thinking Cajun food, like Cajun really go food. New Orleans. Okay, yeah. Can we go beignets? I'm Just a big gumbo a, fan. I a, love sure. Gumbo. Uh, some jambalaya. Love jambalaya. Oh, come and on. also that could be the debut of our boy band. That's right. It we could. could do. By the way, why is it on fat? T- it's very weird if you think about it. People are like, I know. Starting tomorrow, we're going to be fasting. So let's overindulge. <laughs> it's it's very strange. It's yeah. like, because tomorrow God's going to take everything away, so i got to eat all I can. It's very uh-huh. strange. Not that I'm ever against eating all that you <laughs> yeah. can until the point of sickness. Uh-huh. But it's just weird. Uh, Let's be honest. that Humans are weird. I'm not complaining about it. <laughs> all right. Well, hopefully we'll see you with some, some Cajun food on Tuesday. I'm going to go work on our first song, <laughs> our boy band our song. Boy band, what, uh-huh. would it, what would our polyphonic song be? Not sure yet. Something with gumbo. Yeah, gumbo glory. Gumbo glory. Ooh, there it gumbo is. Gumbo glory. I like it. I can't wait for someone to write and sing that in. Uh-huh. Send that in. Send us your submissions. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, bye.
All right, thanks everyone for sticking around. Thanks to Jay Kim and Andy Gridley for coming by. Always a blast to hang out with you guys. Join us next week where we're going to be looking at Jesus's three temptations. We see this moment in Matthew's gospel where Jesus is led out from his baptism into the desert to be tempted by Satan three distinct times. That is a doozy of a story. So join us for that as we start delving into the first of those three temptations next week. All right, we'll see you soon. Thank you.